That is so fun to watch. I used to sit down there until it was almost over, and I thought, no, if I go up quickly, I can watch the whole parade. I don't want to ever be a part of a church without a lot of children, and we don't hear the voices of children. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 15 today. Genesis is, of course, the first book of the Bible. It could also be called Foundations, because in this book we had the foundations of our faith. Uh, not only the stories of our ancestors, but really God laying that, that foundation for us in our faith with Him. Uh, let's stand as we hear this, the Word of God. Remain standing then for the song that follows. This is a story about Abram, or as we call him later, Abraham. And this is uh, another time that God has visited with him. After this, the Word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. God, or he, took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And Abram, Abram believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. May God bless the reading of his word. One of the events I most enjoy in ministry is when I stand before a young couple and she is decked out and resplendent in her white lace. Her eyes are shining. Perhaps there is a tear of joy making its way down her cheek. And the young man stands there dazed and confused, <laughs> knees shaking, not knowing what to do with his hands. And I talk for a while, and nobody's really listening. You know, I used to work really hard on my wedding things, and I realized nobody's listening. They're watching the flower girl wave at her grandmother and showing everybody her new shoes and the ring bearer picking his nose. But after some talking happens... Then we get down to the words that are so important. And I ask those young people to take a vow. And it goes something like this. Man, in taking this woman to be your wife, we ask you to promise. To promise to love and cherish her. To honor and sustain her. In sickness as in health, in poverty 
as in wealth, and leaving all others, cleave only to her, and to be to her in all things a true and faithful husband as long as you both shall live. Do you so promise? I haven't had anyone say no yet. They both usually say yes. And there they promise to live together as husband and wife for the rest of their lives. Just words. They don't know what it's like to be married. Brian and I have been trying to tell them for several weeks in premarital counseling what marriage is all about. And and they've tried hard to listen and they've smiled and nodded. And maybe they've picked up a few things, but... They haven't been married before, and they don't really know what marriage is all about. And they don't really know what tomorrow will bring and what the future holds. Will they live healthy, long lives together? Will they live lives of financial security? Will they be blessed by children? We just don't know. All we have are words. Promises made, promises that change everything. As I sometimes tell them in the wedding ceremony itself, that these promises transform you from a man into a husband, you from a woman into a wife. And that's a new reality. It's a new life. Something real has come into being just because two people have promised. Now, let me share with you one of the lower points in my ministry. I can remember one time sitting in a simple, rather dim apartment, talking to a young couple. Their children were kind of running wild, which kind of fit the family dynamic. I don't even remember how many children there were. I just remember they were in and out of my lap, in and out of their laps, and running around, and, and we were talking. And I was looking at this young woman who was obviously aged beyond her years. She had a very hollow look in her eyes. Her cheeks were sunken in, primarily from the loss of some teeth. And I thought about how I remembered seeing her before, because I had known this young lady as a teenager. Back when I'd been a youth minister up in the panhandle while I was going to school and had driven up for weekends and worked with a small church, this girl had been a part of that youth group. And I remember her as lively and vivacious and active and just so with so much future ahead of her. And yet, just a few months ago, she had come to my office in the church building. I hadn't recognized her, and at first she didn't recognize me. And she started telling me how she had finally taken her kids and run off and left her abusive husband, and she needed help. And so as we began talking, I got her name, and I was writing it down, and I said, I know you. And she looked at me and she said, Tommy? And I said, yeah. 
And so we helped her. We got her into the battered, uh, the, the shelter for battered women, and there she and her children were able to live for amount of time, and we were able to visit with her, and she would come and worship with us, and things were looking better. They were progressing, and whenever she got to the point where she had to leave the shelter because she had stayed there for the amount of time that they allowed, and we helped her to get an apartment and got her set up, and we're helping her look for a job, and then lo and behold, he showed up again, and everything went into a tailspin again. And so there I sat, listening, listening to this guy, promise, promise, promise. It will be different this time. No more drugs, no more alcohol, no more violence. I will go to AA. I will go to counseling. I promise you it will be different this time. I was so upset that He had found her again. In fact, though, I kind of suspected she had called him. It happens, doesn't it, Brian? And she looked at me and she said, what should I do? Do I go back to him or not? And I would say, well, that's not a question for me to answer. And I would try to bring some perspective to the situation. But she pressed the point and finally asked me the question. She said, do you believe him? So I just answered it. I said, no, I don't. I don't believe a word he is saying. But the question is, do you believe him? Because whether or not you believe what he's saying is going to set the course for your life from now on. Promises. Promises accepted. Promises believed. Promises rejected. Just words, but they are so powerful in organizing our lives, setting us on through life, making us who we are. Now, the reason we're talking about promises today is because this story that we just read in Genesis is about promises. It's about a promise that God had made to Abraham. Whenever we first met Abraham at the end of chapter 11 in Genesis, he's living in the the big city of Ur with his family, and yet the family migrates on up to Haran, and there God appears to him and says, Abraham, I'm calling you. I'm calling you to leave this place and go to a new land, and I will give you that land. I will bless those who bless you. I will be a blessing to you, and I'm going to give you children. Abraham and Sarah had been married many years and had no children, and they wanted children. He said, I am going to make your descendants just, just, you'll have a multitude, a mighty nation of descendants. And since that time, about 10 years had passed, and a lot had happened. Abraham and his family, along with his nephew Lot and his family, had moved down into Canaan. Because of a drought, they had gone to Egypt and lived for a while, and Y'all know those stories, don't you, where Abraham told a lie about Sarah. She ended up in Pharaoh's house as one of his wives, and God had to get them out of that mess. And then they get back up into the land of Canaan, and, and there they have a family squabble 
where Lot's family isn't getting along with Abraham's family and they're fighting with each other and Abraham has to settle that dispute where they can live together in peace and then Lot gets himself carried off as a captive in war and Abraham has to get an army together and goes out and defeats the the king that had captured the city and rescues Lot and all of these things were going on and all these things were happening ten long years after God had called Abraham. And then God shows up again. And God speaks once again. And what he says is this. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But this time Abraham is in more of a combative mode. He's ready for it. And he says, wait a minute, God. What will you give me? Have you not noticed that I still don't have any children? Ten years ago, you told me that I was going to have all these kids. Don't you see that right now, if I die, that the only heir I have is a servant, Eliezer of Damascus? And in case God didn't hear it, he says one more time, you have given me no children. What's all this talk about a great nation? Abraham thinks God's promises are sounding a little hollow. What do you do with words when all the evidence is to the contrary? The distance between what God has promised and the realities of life can sometimes seem great. What about us? God's made us some promises. How are we doing with those? Let me read you a couple. Jesus said, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Jesus says, I promise you that if you will trust me, I will come and I'll live with you. God and I will live even within you. Or Jesus said at another time, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In my name, if you ask me for anything, I will do it. And if we're honest with ourselves, the question of Abraham often comes to our mind. What will you give me? Why haven't you given me? I can give you dates. I can give you times. I can give you facts where these promises seem to have been fulfilled. If you are honest with yourself, you've got to have felt that way sometime. Just like Abraham, whenever God appears, basically says, where's the baby? Jerry Maguire, show me the baby. And there are times in our lives, if we're honest with God, we feel the same way. It doesn't seem like it's happening the way he promised it would. And let me encourage you, when you talk to God, do be honest with him. Do tell him how you're really feeling. You know, you can fake me out. I'll be standing back there in the foyer and you can walk by and I can say, hey, how you doing? And you may be having the worst day in your life and you can smile and say, I'm doing great. How about you? And I believe you. 
But God knows what's going on in our hearts. Jesus even said at one time that God already knows what we're going to ask for before we ask, but ask him anyway. And to that, I encourage you and tell him how you're really feeling and what you're really thinking because he already knows and he just wants to hear you say it. Well, you got to applaud Abraham in this instance because he is brutally honest with God. Even though I've done all these things that you asked me to do, it's not going the way I thought it would. It doesn't seem to be that your promises are coming true. So what does God do about this? What does God do about someone that says, God, I don't get it? Well, he takes him outside. And even though the night and the image is not fully developed here, I think we can kind of imagine. Have you ever been up in the mountains or out in the wilderness somewhere where away from the lights of the city and it's a perfectly clear night and you look up at the sky, the night sky, and it is just filled with stars. You know, if you live in town, you look up at the night and you may see three or four here kind of poking around, but you go out there where you can see them. Well, I can just imagine Abraham standing out there looking up at that sky filled with stars. And God says, look at the sky, Abraham, and start counting. Because the number of descendants you will have is equal to the number of the stars in the skies. Now notice, even though that's a beautiful statement, no baby. No hard evidence. Just words. Promises. That God is making. And God tells us, I love you. I care about you. In fact, I sent my son to die for you because I see that the greatest problem that you have is your sinfulness, and I want to take care of that. And my son died on the cross for those sins, and then I raised him from the dead because I know how much you hate death. I know that it has hurt you that you have already said goodbye to so many dear people in your lives. I know that even you fear death yourself, and I want to take care of that. And so my son died for you, and I raised him from the dead for you so that you can have my promise that I love you, I care for you, I'm providing for you, you are my child. And to be honest, that's what we've got. Words. Promises. Well, what does Abraham do with this? Does Abraham go back and argue, I don't see anything? No, as we read. And Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord counted his faith as righteousness. Now, that verse there in Genesis chapter 15 pops up as much, if not more, than any Old Testament verse in all the New Testament. It is that foundational, that key. 
And God wants us to hear that. Paul wanted us to hear that because he quoted it so many times. That if we will believe the promises of God, then he will count it in our lives as righteousness. Now, righteousness is a relational word. And what God is saying, if you will believe what I promise you, things are right between us. We are good. I am your father. You are my child. And I will be with you. I will walk with you all through this life. And then when it comes time, when these earthly days are over and you can walk no longer, we will live together. Promises change everything. If we believe them, to believe a promise in marriage is to start living a life that was different from our life as a single person. And to believe God's promises that He has made to us through His gospel changes everything about our lives. It makes us righteous. It makes us right with God. And therefore, just as Abraham said, Lord, I believe, for us to say, Lord, I believe, changes it all. Because God has said, I love you. I promise I love you. I promise I will work for you and do what you ultimately need to live forever. I promise, I promise, cross my heart. Do you believe it? Let's stand and sing.